All right, well, like I said, I'm glad we can all be here together this morning. I'm impressed with all of you who came with this horrible, nasty weather. 20 church points to everybody. Good job. That's, that's pretty good. I think somebody's keeping track of that somewhere. I don't know. <clears throat> so back when I was uh, growing up, my mother was a nurse. Uh, and she, she, she actually had uh, quite the background with it. She used to uh, ride in the, the helicopters, life-flighting premature babies. Uh, and uh, whenever us kids were born, she just couldn't do that anymore. It was too emotionally. <laughs> but uh, but she, she was a nurse uh, her whole life. Um, and she actually, she used to get really interested in like sicknesses <laughs> and, and physical maladies. She'd have no problem dealing with the blood from my brother's innumerable injuries uh, throughout his life. She wasn't all that turned off by the gross or the macabre. Um, and sometimes my friends would wonder about her. <laughs> they came over like, Dude, why is your mom so weird? <laughs> and I'd just be like, she's a nurse. She's a nurse. And then usually, that's all I could say. And usually they'd just be like, ah, all right, that makes sense. She's a nurse. Have you ever met somebody and you're wondering why in the world they are the way they are? <laughs> and, and someone gives you just like a one-word explanation, and it just kind of puts everything into place. It all just kind of clicks together, and you're like, ah, I get it. Like, eh, she's a nurse. Eh, he's a pastor. Oh. Makes sense. Makes sense now. The things that make them different all of a sudden uh, m make sense because of who they are. We learn something about them and it all makes sense. Well, what might it look like if we were acting a particular way and someone said, they're a Christian? And it just kind of made sense of our behavior, our outlook on life. And what kind of behavior or outlook or mentality would warrant that kind of explanation for us? Well, today we're starting into a series uh, that looks at some of the ways we should change uh, as we come to take on the label of Christ follower. Once we declare Christ as our Lord, these, there should be some things that change about us. Ways that our behavior and mentalities change. And wouldn't it be great if because of those changes... Someone could say, ah, they're a Christian. That's why they love so well. Right? Ah, they're a Christian. That's why they're able to not get so worked up during political conversations at Thanksgiving. You know? Ah, they're a Christian. That's why they care so much about their neighbors who are otherwise completely different from them. And to give us some structure for this series, we're going to uh, have kind of a, a theme verse that goes through all of the weeks uh, to kind of give us a common thread throughout. We find that in Romans chapter 12. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So this verse speaks to the fact that once we become followers of Jesus, we should no longer look like the patterns of this world. Jesus certainly didn't fit the molds that his culture had given him. Right? That's part of what made him so abrasive to a lot of people. So what makes us think that we should be any different in that regard? So what does transformed mean? 
Well, the, the Greek word that we translate to transformed is metamorpho, which means to change into another form, to transfigure. Uh, it's, it's where we get the term metamorphosis. Uh, this is like the change of a caterpillar to a butterfly. So this is more than just a change of clothes that we're talking about. This morning, I was back getting my coffee, and uh, Bethany Vasily was back there and uh, getting some coffee, and Leanne was standing next to her, and Bethany was wearing Leanne's lanyard name tag. And I was like, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> and Leanne was like, yeah, I come in. She's wearing my name tag. She's getting the coffee ready. She's greeting people. She's doing all this stuff. And she's like, it's great. I'm like, all right, good to see you, Leanne. And you too, Leanne. <laughs> but what we're talking about goes deeper than a, a change of name tag, right, or, or a lanyard. We're talking about something that goes, that goes deep. This is actually the same word that is used to describe what happened to Jesus, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John go with him up to the, the top of this mountain, and they see him change and shine with glory uh, for just a moment in a resurrected and glorified body. It was this miraculous transformation. Transforming our minds here is about changing who we are, what we do, how we think, how we love, all of those things. As followers of Jesus, we are not only to be different from the world, but different from how we used to be. Different from our natural fallen inclinations. So in this series, we're going to be looking at five changes, five metamorphoses that we undergo. I guess if I do this, I should really do something like this. Five metamorphoses that we undergo as followers of Jesus. Now, these aren't going to be in any particular order or anything. Uh, but these are changes that we see laid out in Scripture. And the first one today is a change in our vision. That we move from a worldview to a spiritual view, or a worldly view to a spiritual view. So let's take a look at our passage for today. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 16. That's on page 548, if you're using the Bibles next to you. Uh, you can use whatever Bible you want as well. I don't know what page it'll be in there if you're bringing your own from home. Uh, or you can use a Bible app on your phone. Or you can just use Google, actually. If you just open up your browser on your phone or something, just type in the reference, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 17. It'll bring it up in Google there as well. So Paul is instructing the followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth. And he tells them this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So, first of all, according to this passage, who are we allowed to view from a worldly point of view? No one, teacher, right? No one. Not even those who we disagree with, not those who attack us, not those who have offended us, not those who have wronged us or ignored us. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. But then the question must be asked, what is a worldly point of view? <laughs> a 
okay, we're not allowed to view anyone that way. What is that way? What is this worldly point of view? What does it even mean? Well, we get a clue from the verses that actually precede our main passage. Uh, Paul's talking about the physical world versus the spiritual and how we are primarily spiritual creatures. I mean, yes, we have a physical body and physical realities, but we are awaiting our resurrection spiritual bodies. And in verse 12, we read this. Uh, Paul says, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we're giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. So the worldly point of view would be to value what is seen over what is not seen. The categories on the surface not seeing deeper into the heart, seeing people only according to the categories we have created as humans. Tara actually spoke to this uh, during her sermon a couple of months ago. Essentially, the, world, the worldly categories might be things like race or the color of one's skin, the language one uses, uh, or the accent that exists when someone tries to speak your language. Uh, it could be someone's political affiliation, it could be the clothes someone wears, the zip code someone resides in, the country they're from, their physical shape or beauty, their, the music someone listens to. These are categories that we've created that have nothing to do with the actual worth of a person. But going deeper into the heart, as it says in verse 12, means going to see what's below those surface things and seeing the imago dei, the image of God in each person. Seeing each person as having inherent worth and value in spite of these surface differences. And we've seen how viewing people from these worldly categories can go wrong and cause problems. Right, we see it in so many ways from classism to racism, to sexism, to ethnocentrism. But we also see it in how it went wrong for Jesus, too. Right? He was viewed as a political revolutionary by the Romans. So he had to be killed so as to maintain the peace. He was also viewed as a troublemaker and a heretic by the Pharisees and religious teachers. And so he had to be killed to protect their faith. When we view people from our self-created categories, it is easier for us to judge them without actually knowing them and without extending the effort to employ wisdom and godly discernment. So we see what the worldly point of view is and that we can't view anyone from this point of view anymore. But, the, but what about the why question? Right? Why isn't this worldly worldview an option for us anymore? Well, because of what it says in verse 17. Because we're a new creation. We have changed. We have metamorphosed. That's actually the past tense of metamorphosis, by the way. Metamorph it didn't sound right to me. I had to look it up. I thought it was metamorphosized. But metamorphosis. Anyway, we aren't the creatures we used to be. The old has gone, the new has come. And one quick aside here uh, about the wording from verse 17, this old has gone, the new is here uh, language. I want to quote one of my sources here, the Believer's Bible Commentary, because I believe it says it better than I could. 
It says, this verse, this old has gone, the new has come, or new creatures. Um, this verse is a favorite with those who have recently been born again, those who have recently come to faith in Jesus, and is often quoted in personal testimonies. Sometimes, in being thus quoted, it gives quite a false impression. Listeners are apt to think that when a man is saved, old habits, evil thoughts, and lustful looks are forever done away, and everything becomes literally new in a person's life. We know that is not true. This, the verse does not describe a believer's practice, but rather his position. So basically, what's changed when you become a new person in Christ isn't necessarily your actions and thoughts. It's your standing before God. Our standing was condemned. And now it is righteous, justified before God. That's what changes initially. Our actions and thoughts will slowly change to take on the character of Jesus, but that doesn't happen right away. So don't put the pressure on yourself that once you start following Jesus, all of the bad things in your life will just poof, go away. Right? You'll never struggle with temptation again. You'll never lose your patience with your spouse again. You'll never uh, yell at your little brother again. Right? We know that we won't be perfect in the moment of first putting our trust in him. So take that pressure off of your shoulders <laughs> as you hear the statement that the old has gone, the new is here. It is a statement of fact. We are a new creation. We can and should celebrate this. But we live into that reality over time as we intentionally follow Jesus and work to be more like him every day. So that's a, a little aside about those verses. So we are no longer of this world. The new has come to us. Eventually, as Christians, viewing people in the worldly way through all the, those man-made surface categories, eventually that should be completely foreign to us. I should feel like putting on a coat, maybe, that you used to wear when you were younger. Right? Maybe it used to be your favorite. It was comfortable. Right? It felt almost like an extension of your body. But if you tried putting it on now, it wouldn't... It wouldn't fit right. right. It would feel strange. You might recognize it, but it doesn't work anymore. It feels strange and foreign to you. It just doesn't fit anymore. So should these worldly categories become for us. So how does this change us? When we stop viewing people from the worldly point of view and change to a spiritual point of view... Viewing people as loved ones of God, fellow fallen image bearers with us, what will that look like? Well, maybe it can make us into people who know how to have better conversations with people with whom we disagree. I know I've dropped the ball on this over the course of my life. <laughs> Heck, I've dropped the ball on this over the last year. We will not be perfect because we all make mistakes. But we need to own those mistakes, those times that we've messed up, and move forward in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and with the power of the Spirit to help us align better with him. But the idea is that followers of Jesus should be leading the charge of unity in this world because we should no longer be viewing people from the worldly categories that cause so much hate and division. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't discerning or wise. Right? We, we might need to make judgments about people, the company that we keep, the, the people that we listen to or allow to influence us. Right? But we make those judgments while always bearing in mind, first, that they are, above everything else, fellow fallen image bearers with us. We always have to keep that in mind. And two, sometimes we're wrong. Bearing those things in mind will help us to remain humble in our discernment and keep pride and the condemning kind of judgment at bay. Uh, one time back in New York, uh, I went to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. I was doing those in, in our neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I went to one that was meeting up in Harlem. A buddy of mine was running one up in Harlem. And so I left straight from work because I worked in Midtown, so it made a lot more sense to just go straight there than it did to leave from Brooklyn. So, so I left straight from work. So I had my, all my dress clothes, right? My nice shiny shoes, my tie, you know, my dress shirt, looking all, looking all spiffy. And uh, they were meeting in an elementary school. I walked in, and I was the only white guy in the room. Uh, and all the guys who were there were just like the stereotypical gangster, right? Gold chains, do-rags, puffy coats, grills, all of that stuff. But in the open share, after our main meeting, so there's a main meeting, and then there's an open share where you get to talk and actually confess and talk about things that are going on. In that meeting, that open share meeting, where we talk about the deepest stuff in our lives, everyone was honest and open and caring, and it was beautiful. But there was one guy there. There was one guy there who, while each person had their turn sharing, he would laugh. He'd kind of snicker to himself or snort with laughter. And needless to say, I was fuming. <laughs> right? People are burying their souls here and this guy's laughing. Whew. I was ticked. Here's this jerk ruining everything for all of us. It takes a lot to share this kind of stuff and this punk is laughing. Well, we get around the circle, and it comes time for Laughing Man to have his share. So he says his name, the things that he's struggling with, the standard introduction, and he goes straight into an apology. He apologizes to everyone in the room for his laughter. And he went on to explain that when he was like six or so, a stray bullet came in through his bedroom window and hit him in the head. And since that time, he had lost control of emotional regulation. It affected that part of his brain. He would laugh at inappropriate times. He would cry at inappropriate times. He just couldn't control his emotions. So once he explained and apologized, he went on to share openly and honestly, and it was wonderful. Now who's the jerk? <laughs> this guy. I had made this assumption about this guy, and I didn't know him. It happens to all of us. Paul, a writer of a large portion of our New Testament, didn't always get things right either. He judged people quite severely with the condemning kind of judgment, especially Jesus and his followers. Right, before his encounter with Jesus, his opinion about him was pretty bad. 
Let me read uh, one of my sources here. It says, from Paul's previous worldly point of view, Jesus was, one, a rabble-rousing heretic who incited gullible Jews to give up their traditions. Two, a fool for not joining the powerful Jewish political system so that he could really accomplish something. Three, a poor judge of character, for he chose common fishermen as his disciples. Four, a glutton and a drunkard who associated with sinners. And five, a failure who got himself killed in the end. But his view of Jesus changed dramatically when he finally met him and had his eyes metaphorically and literally opened by the Spirit. Another source said something interesting as well. Again, the Believer's Bible Commentary said this. Sometimes it's just easier to quote things rather than try to restate it, you know. This source says, From now on, we do not judge men with a, in a carnal, earthly way according to appearances, human credentials, or national origin. We see them as precious soul, souls for whom Christ died. He, Paul, added that even though he had known Christ according to the flesh, that is, as merely another man, yet he did not know him in that way anymore. In other words, it was one thing to know Jesus as a next-door neighbor in the village of Nazareth, or even as an earthly Messiah, and quite another thing to know the glorified Christ who is at the right hand of God at this present time. It's a good way to put it, I thought. And it reminded me, actually, of the Cracked series that we're going through in our life groups about how to read the Bible. Uh, one of the lessons early on was about a concept called Revealed. Uh, and that's where the Bible just doesn't make sense until the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. We can learn things from the Bible. We can understand some things. But we won't see the real truth of God and our sin until the Spirit convicts us and reveals the meaning of Scripture. Our view of things changes in the Scriptures from worldly to spiritual. And this concept that we're talking about today is similar. There are those who viewed Jesus, right, and still view Jesus, as merely an earthly teacher. And there are some really good things we can learn from Jesus with this surface understanding. But we cannot truly know Jesus unless we understand him from the inside out. Unless we move from the worldly view to the spiritual view. From the outside, Jesus was just another oppressed Jewish man living under the the thumb of Rome. He was homeless, scraping a living to get by and teaching some really radical stuff. But underneath all of that, he was God-made flesh. Right? What we just celebrated at Christmas. Living among us and saving us. This, this model, this understanding of Christ is why we can no longer do that with his people. With creation. Right, if we can't truly see or understand Jesus without the Spirit guiding us, what makes us think we can do that with the rest of his creation? With each other. Our concept today also reminds me of the way that the Brethren in Christ view reading the Bible. Our denomination is the Brethren in Christ, and I've talked about before how we read the Bible from a Christocentric lens. That just means we place Jesus at the center uh, of interpretation of all of Scripture. Uh, we read the Bible with Jesus always in mind. And when we do that, we see him everywhere. We see him throughout uh, both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And like a Christocentric view of Scripture, 
when we view people with Jesus always in mind, we see his image everywhere. Not saying that everyone is Jesus or that everyone can be their own savior. I'm not saying anything like that. But we view people through the lenses of Jesus. We change our sight. We change our view from world-centric to Jesus-centric. And we can start to see the Imago Dei in people everywhere. And that then becomes our predominant view of people, over and above the worldly categories that we had become accustomed to. Hey, how in the world is Jill so calm when this is the most consequential election in our history? Oh, Jill, she, she's a Christian now. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Hey, why doesn't Annie talk, uh, join us on the playground to talk about the, the girls in class who annoy us anymore? Oh, Annie, yeah, she, she's a Christian now. Oh, okay, I, I, I guess that makes sense. Hey, wh- why isn't Phil angry at his father anymore? Wasn't that like a big thing for him? Oh, Phil, yeah, he's a Christian now. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Does that sound silly to you? I mean, it sounded a little silly to me. I am the one who wrote these. but should they I'm like changing from a worldly view to a spiritual view should have this kind of effect right when we choose to follow Jesus this is one of the metamorphoses that we undergo our eyes change our viewpoint changes we no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view but rather see them through the eyes of Christ who gave us his spirit his very self to help us see differently. Where does your view need to change? Or with whom does your view need to change? Where do you need to adjust your view of people to see them as fellow image bearers rather than adversaries, opponents, obstacles, or antagonists? Can you imagine the impact on the world if God's people took this seriously? If we refused to play by the world's game and its categories, if we refused to say that anyone who believes or votes or speaks or looks differently than me is my enemy, if we truly saw people from the spiritual lens of fellow image bearers, I do believe that the world would take notice. And that could be an incredible witness to our world who is in dire need of a healing presence.